Brandon Brands. Hey, this is Melanie Diesel, founder of StoryFuel and author of the Content Fuel Framework. And if you want to tell better brand stories, you should be listening to Brands on Brands on Brands with my good friend, Brandon Berkmeyer. In a world where advertising is ignored, business is exposed, and the only constant is change, how do you build a brand that matters? Welcome to Brands on Brands on Brands, a home for those who think different and push their boundaries. This is where branding that matters lives. Now, here's your host, Brandon Berkmeyer. Hey, 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 what's up, everyone? Welcome to Brands on Brands on Brands. I'm Brandon Berkmeyer, your personal marketing coach, and I believe that building brands that matter is the only way for a business to thrive tomorrow. Thanks for tuning in each week as we bring you thought leaders and entrepreneurs from across the globe to talk about marketing, to educate, to enlighten, to inspire, to help you build a better brand. Thanks to you and you, your listenership, we are a top 100 marketing podcast and are able to bring to you the leading minds in marketing, keynote speakers, authors, entrepreneurs, and top podcasters. If this is your first time listening to the show, make sure to go to brandonbrands.com and join our updates and newsletters and all the content. You can reach out to me directly there too. Go there for more information and that helps us out as well. We want to connect with you guys who are listening. But with no further ado, this is an interview episode. We are excited to bring you Melanie Diesel the founder of StoryFuel. She's an international keynote speaker and a lifelong storyteller. She's recognized as one of the world's leading experts in native advertising and branded content. As a speaker, she's taught marketers around the globe to think like journalists and tell better brand stories, which you know we are all about here. How do you build better brands? Well, tell better stories. She's a member of the National Speakers Association and has graced the stages of industry-leading events like Content Marketing World, Native Ad Days, and Social Media Marketing World, which she will be at here in 2020, which I'm going to go see her and hang out at. Uh, she's been at South by Southwest and more. And prior to founding StoryFuel, she had plenty of these branded content, business development, content strategy type jobs at places like, I don't know, you might have heard of them, you know, the New York Times, Huffington Post, those kinds of places. And that's the kind of things we're going to bring to light today. Mostly diving into the ideas of content strategy, content creation, storytelling, and how to apply that to your brand, how to get you started, and how to take it from being something that's so hard to making it a little bit easy for you to do and apply to your business every day. Because I know you guys say content's hard. How do I create consistent content, Brandon? How do I do this in my business more often where it's not taking so much time, so much money? That's what we're going to talk about today. And with no further ado, I will bring to you our episode. Check it out. My interview with Melanie Diesel. Brandon Brands. All right, let's get going. Okay, everyone, I'm excited to bring to you our guest today, Melanie Diesel. First off, before anything else, thank you for coming on the show today. Thank you for having me. This is going to be fun. It is, it is. And I'm, I'm excited because I'm actually going to get to meet you in person after this not too long in a couple months at Social Media Marketing World where you're speaking. So excited to, to make that happen as well. It's coming up fast. I'm going to be excited to come get a taste of that West Coast weather. Uh, it's, it's not <laughs> too shabby. This is in San Diego for those of you that haven't been there. And uh, it's where all the, the best marketing minds in, in media come together and talk about their things in social media. And so we got a speaker today that's talking to us. Hopefully we get a sneak peek of what some of this content is, some of these, these things we can break down. That's part of the reason I'm excited. 
But mostly it's I get to ask these questions that come up to me all the time. People ask me like, how do I create content consistently? That's probably something I get asked all the time. And yeah. I'm not a specialist in this, it's, but I, you know, I have, you know, I have some answers, but it's such a simple question, but man, it's loaded. It is a loaded question. And we get to dive into that today and so much more because content is your jam, I want to say. Yeah, I'll take that. Content is my jam. <laughs> uh, and you've been doing this a long time. You teach it, you coach it, you speak it, and now you get to, inter- you get to interview uh, on it yeah. together. We'll get some backstory. We'll get the, like, some stories of you know, like, things that have happened to you and, and all that stuff. But first, I'd love to set the stage, right? Uh, in terms of the value of good content, the value of good storytelling, why is it important? In so many ways, content is a tool for building relationship. And I, I make so many relationship analogies when I talk about content. I think sometimes people might laugh at me, but you know, you think about the, the relationships with the people in your life who are most important, you know, your, your family, your partner, your friends. In almost every single case, with very rare exception, it's built over a period of time through back and forth exchange, right? It wasn't that you just talked at that person without listening ever, and then suddenly they were in love with you and signed up for life, right? It's always, it's always a slow build over time. And I think stories with our customers go a long way to doing the same thing. You know, the more we talk to our customers, we share value, we listen, we signal to them that we value the same things, that we know the same people. All of those things over time help us, you know, build a, a deeper relationship. And so I like to find ways to, to share stories that show who we are, that speak to our audience, and that show that we have a lot of things in common. And I think that's the best way to, to sort of do it over time. Well, I like the idea of this being a relationship when you're creating content. I think it's historically been a very one-sided conversation. And now yeah. past 10 years, it's become you know, multi-directional. And since you said you lean into the idea of using relationships as the analogy, yeah. you just had a child who's five months old at this point. And yeah. I had a great conversation with John Lee Dumas. He has a podcast called Entrepreneurs on Fire. And something that stuck with me, he said, is the reason he likes doing interviews and having two-way conversations is he says, that uh, it's a collision of ideas. And that's where mm. like new ground is broken is when you bring two things together. Do you yeah. feel that, that storytelling and content can be and should be a two-way street? A hundred percent. I think all the content that fails, we've all had that experience. You read a blog post or you see a picture and you're like, oh, this is all about them. Like, why are they bragging so much? Or why are they only talking about themselves? Or what, what does this have to do with me, right? It's because it lacks that back and forth. It lacks that acknowledgement of who the audience is and what they actually want. So one of the things I'm always talking about is actually reverse engineering your content. Start with your audience. What do they want? What do they fear? What are their challenges? How can you help them? If all of your content is created with them in mind, you know, with your audience at the center of what you do, then you're going to have sort of their caring and their engagement built in because it's for them, not at them, right? And I think I draw a lot on my background as a journalist, because so much of what we do, good journalists anyway, is we're really sort of acting on behalf of our audience. What would my audience want to ask this person? What would my audience need to know about this situation? If they were here, what would they be observing? You know, we're sort of standing in for our audience in many ways as we report. And so I try to bring that same mentality to the brand content we create. You know, what could our audience learn from us? What our audience want to know? How could we help make their lives faster, easier, you know, help them save time or money, whatever the case may be, you know, putting our audience's needs at the center, I think is, is absolutely key. And I think we have a unique opportunity here since, uh, you know, if we could talk about this in the first personal bit, you've had to build your own personal brand. You have your own audience, your own business. Who are you helping? Like, who have you figured out that this is like the person you speak to that you have a relationship with? And how did you figure that out? 
I actually think our audience is maybe kind of similar. So a lot of my audience is people who are in marketing, but they're often sort of in marketing either recently or or by accident in some way. You know, they're people who are creators or building a personal brand. You know, maybe they've been laid off and they're now doing freelance work, so their reputation is more important. It's basically people who are saying, okay, I think I need to be doing some storytelling. I need to create some content now. How do we put a system around that? How do we do it more regularly? Um, I also do have a decent amount of media folks in my audience because that's the, you know, the world that I came from. So a lot of them are you know, journalists or podcasters, broadcasters who are trying to build a personal brand in that way. And the way I figured it out, truthfully, was by accident and by listening. So I also, you know, like I said, my background is a, as a journalist. I thought I would be in a newsroom somewhere, you know, writing stories for, you know, probably a print newspaper in the middle of nowhere that used to be the trajectory of how you built your way up. And then the digital disruption happened. And so went my career ladder out the window, no, no way of knowing what comes next. So I ended up in marketing myself by accident, you know, that I, I took the skills I was going to use as a journalist and started applying them to brand communications. And that's kind of how I ended up in this world of, of creating branded content and doing, you know, content marketing. So I see a lot of my audience's experience in my own experience and vice versa that sometimes you don't expect to be a marketer and it kind of happens to you. You know, you have a a merger, an acquisition, change of jobs. You know, you start your own company, you join a startup and suddenly you're a marketing team of one or you're wearing many hats, one of which is marketing. And so I think what becomes really important is how do we do this efficiently? How do we do this with an acknowledgement of our resources? And how do we do it in a way that's not going to, you know, make us lose our minds? Because there's only <laughs> there's only so much we can do uh, with the resources at our disposal, and nobody wants to feel burnt out from having to share their story, you know, in in, in all these different ways. I like that, and I do I do want to dive into a little bit of the background in your history because I think it is unique, and you have a different perspective. I'm going to save that for the next piece for like one second later, but I want to flip the script for a second and get this thing out of the way that like some immediate question that everyone, like everyone's asking you these same questions. They, they tune in, they want to hear this in the podcast. What's the thing that you get asked all the time around content or storytelling? The thing you get asked the most, that's a problem that people want solved. I, I think there's two. Is that allowed? Is that cheating? You can, you can ask, but don't answer it yet. Cause I want to okay. give what I think the common answer is <laughs> and you can agree with it or say there's a better sure. answer. So I think the, the first one that comes is everyone says, well, that's like, I'm not a creative. So how, how do I find someone to do it for me? Or how do I solve for that if, if I'm not creative enough to, to do content creation or take photos or write blogs or whatever else? Gotcha. So yeah, not creative enough. And I, I imagine the answer is that you, you don't have to be creative. You just have to tell, tell your story or make it personal or something like that. Well, I mean, is it time to answer? Please. Are we saving? Yeah. So the, the, I would say that the, the answer is actually that you are creative and you probably just don't know how to tap into it, right? Is that so much of creativity is handing responsibility to, to some other entity, right? It's luck, it's a muse, it's you're born with it. You know, I'm not, a, I'm not Steve Jobs, I'm not Beyonce, whoever, whoever it is that you look to for creative inspiration, right? But it is a process and it is a muscle that you can work out and it is, a, you know, something you can practice. And so anyone who's feeling not creative has probably been put in a position to try to come up with, you know, some sort of creative solution where it wasn't an ideal situation. And so they didn't have the right conditions to, to do it effic- effectively. And that has made them believe that they can't do it ever. Yeah, I, I don't know how many terrible brainstorms I've been in. And that was like our <laughs> one creative outlet for, for the day. And yeah, so why are we so bad at it? I guess, we, why don't we tap into it as much as we, we can? And maybe it's just not part of our normal jobs every day. Yeah, exactly. And I think, I think it's not something that we're generally trained to do, right? It's not, 
oftentimes the, the essentials of life, of, of moving through the world as a, as a functional adult person, doesn't involve training for how to think creatively or come up with ideas. You know, hopefully if you're lucky and, you know, you have some sort of creative passion, you know, whether you're, you're a writer or, you know, a photographer or you have some hobby, you maybe have practiced that on your own or, or through dance or something else, music. But if not, then you kind of think that that's something for other people, right? It's not something that you generally find in your day-to-day work. If maybe you're, you're working in food or retail, you know, maybe you think that creativity is not important for you and what you do. And, and the truth is, it's just, it's just something to learn. And as long as you have steps in a process, I think it makes it a lot more approachable both to learn it, to practice it, and then hopefully to find it more, uh, more natural down the line. No, I think it's reassuring to know that all of us could find a way to be at least creative enough to, to move our business forward and to, to get started supporting our business with content, whatever that might be. What's that second question? You got me curious on what the other one is. The second one, and, and I was really trying to decide between these two, but I, I think they come up equally. The second one is really like, how do I do this more efficiently? Like, how do I do this with less time? Because anyone who has done a, I mean, how much time do you spend on your podcast every day, every week, right? It's very time consuming to create quality stuff. And uh, we're all pressed for time. So <laughs> that's, that's always, how do I make this faster, easier, less stressful? Otherwise, it's not sustainable, you know? Yeah, that makes sense. I, I think what, I'll, what I hear out there in the, in the ether is like, well, you do, you know, you can either just create every day and just document the process. I'm like, okay, I've heard <laughs> that. Or I've heard the create one big thing and then chop it up. Are those the ways to go? Or are there other ways? Those are some ways to go. Another way you can go is to find people who can help you, right? So there's, if you're finding it particularly stressful or time consuming, there's a good chance that you're putting a lot of effort into something that someone else can do very easily. So, you know, if editing the video takes you way longer than, you know, recording the video, find someone who's really good at editing video and partner up with them. You know, find, find ways to outsource those things that are super stressful or time consuming for you. But the other thing that makes it super easy is batching, batch your content, by which I mean, think of how we do laundry. You don't wash your outfit at the end of every day. You save it up for a week and you create a whole week's worth of clean laundry that you then wear throughout the next week, right? Or if you have a baby every other day, like there's, there's some element of batching there so that you're not doing the same thing less efficiently all the time. So look for opportunities to batch certain elements of your content. That might be writing a bunch of posts and scheduling them in advance. It might be deciding one Saturday a month, you record your whole month's worth of weekly videos, you know, just finding ways to to put those things together so that you get into that mindset and that mode, you get all your tools together, you do it all at once, and then you can roll those out over time. That way you you sort of uh, condense your stress into one point and then uh, less stress the rest of the time when you're just rolling it out. I like that. And the uh, the idea that, we have really two resources, right? We have money and we have time. And I think they're the things that we probably misappropriate the most. We probably spend a lot of time on things that we should be spending money on and a lot of money on things that we should be spending time on. And yeah. this, is, this is, I like that. I, I love to figure out like, what can I hire someone to do who's, who does it better or has done it and can teach me at least how to get started or get me off. And then I can continue from there, whatever the thing right. might be. And I think that happens in marketing a lot. I mean, a lot of agencies are built on the idea of, We'll just take it over for you. And in some cases, honestly, that could be something that is taught and then you do yourself versus yeah. you know, not outsourcing. I think that both can be played. And I think it's a huge, like if you could figure that piece out, you might save yourself a lot of money and time at the end Absolutely. of the day. Absolutely. Yeah. And those, those two questions, actually, I just, as we were talking about it, realized that they're actually pretty closely tied to one another because I think a lot of what takes up the stress and the time and you know, makes the whole process inefficient is having to think about it so much and so often because it doesn't come natural or because you don't have a plan. 
And so, you know, if you're needing, for example, to say you're a small business and you've decided you want to be on Instagram, well, half of the challenge of what to do on Instagram is sitting around for half an hour going, dang it, what am I going to post and looking around and trying to find something and no, that doesn't look nice enough. And we just posted that yesterday. So you're spending so much of what you think is stressful content creation time is actually content idea time, right? So if you could condense that ideas, have a more efficient process, you know, feel more comfortable in that process, you could come up with a bunch of ideas, batch the creation of those, and then roll them out over time. And it would, you know, they, they play into each other very well, I think is what I realized. Yeah, I, you know, that makes sense. When, it, when I'm coming to the idea of like, I need to come up with something that I want to create for whatever it is. If I have to do it once a week for like one, like I had to create something for today, that does end up being a lot harder than me saying, you know what, let me sit back and think about my year and like, what are yeah. all the things that I want to talk about in my category? And I like, cause it, there's something about the framing of the problem you have, like, okay, I need to create a bunch of content for this year. What are all of the things? And you're like, okay, I'm free to kind of fill out this box. It's you, you, the confines you give yourself completely determine how creative you can be. I feel like. Yeah, a hundred percent. And it's, it's one of those things too, that can be very overwhelming sometimes when you look at the big picture. So having a framework, having a structure, or like you said, my category is buckets, you know, I call them franchises. So if you do like fan mail Friday or like, I don't know, gluten-free Fridays, you know, you have some sort of like recurring theme that really helps guide your thinking. It makes it a lot easier because if you think, oh my gosh, I've got to come up with a whole year's worth of, you know, Instagram posts. But if you break it down, you say, okay, well, actually, I'm going to do one recipe every Wednesday. That's only 52 recipes. That becomes a lot more approachable than a whole year's worth of content. And then if you say, okay, well, there's different seasons. So, okay, I need four to eight recipes for each of these particular seasons of the year where things might be different, different ingredients. You know, you can break it down into smaller parts and then it becomes a lot easier and it feels a lot more approachable than trying to sit down and, and eat the whole elephant in one bite. Yeah, no, that's, that's been true for me, especially like when the first season of this, this podcast was you know, almost like 80 plus episodes and, you know, only like 30 or 40 of those were interviews. And so I was on that hamster wheel trying to figure out like what I wanted to talk about each week. I got <sighs> to tap into my guests. So it was like, okay, this week I talked to this person and I still have thoughts on my head from that conversation. Uh, and I got to the habit of at least like if I'm out somewhere working out or whatever, I can like, oh, I have an idea. I'm going to write it down. So at least I got into those habits, but it was still difficult to have something to have all the time. But you know what? This year was different. Season two, I was like, I'm going to figure this out ahead of time. And I was like, I want to talk more about personal branding this year. So I wrote mm. all the things down that I could have that might fill this topic out. And in my mind, it was almost like writing a book. It's like, what are all the things? What are the subcategories? And now I turn on the microphone, I can do four or five at a time. And who knows, at the end of the year, I'll probably have the framework for what could be a book. And that's like, I love it. That's exciting. So it's a, a, a good point you bring up. So my topic at Social Media Marketing World is actually content repurposing. And so I love hearing that, this idea that your planning for one content type, for one format can be so easily segued, even if you have to adapt it a little bit into you know, another format. I think that's really smart. And so let's talk about repurposing for a second. And then I do want to get into your background because I promised that to the audience here. <laughs> Uh, and I know you could talk about repurposing probably forever, but it's a pretty popular topic right now. It is an expensive yeah. thing to do. It is a time-consuming thing to do to take things and chop them up and push them across 10 different media types and do it three times a day or whatever, you know, whatever <laughs> it is that, you know, the, the gurus are saying. Yeah. But what is your like model like, when you're starting to get people like, okay, here's the first step to repurposing and here's just some simple actions to take. How do you get people going on this? 
So one of the things that I really encourage people to do is think about how many different ways there are to repurpose. Because, you know, the example you gave, chop something up into smaller pieces, you know, that's certainly an option, you know, sort of making it smaller, excerpting it in a way. But you can also just straight up duplicate it. Maybe there's a blog post on your blog that you could also publish on LinkedIn, that you could also publish on Medium. It requires very little additional effort, but allows you to be in many different places. That's not always going to be a strategic fit, but it's one of the easiest ways to start practicing, you know, putting your content in multiple places and getting more mileage out of it. Another one would be to adapt it into a different format. So like what you talked about, you have your podcast episodes, you're going to adapt that into a book. It's actually not a ton of effort. You could upload all of those into a transcription service and basically have a starting point with words already written. So that would save you a lot of work, but you can do that with other formats too. So if you've created a video, splitting that into images and audio is fairly easy. And then as we just said, having audio turned into written content is very easy. So now from one video, you have a blog post, the written form, you have a podcast if you wanted, just the audio from that video. You know, and you have the images that you can use for your social posts. So, you know, breaking things down into smaller parts, adapting them into other formats, duplicating them in different places. And then, of course, you know, updating your content or creating derivative versions of it is another way to approach it as well. So I think if we can explore all those different options and find out which one is going to work for us, it makes it a lot easier to see how we might be able to make better use of the content we already have and not overwhelm ourselves with trying to create a million different things. I think that's the key right there. That last piece, if you guys rewind that, hit the back 15 seconds button. The, the <laughs> idea that honestly, for, the, the, for most people, not, not the people that are like their job is creating. Like for right. most people, if you create less, but do more with the thing you create, say you do one thing a month, right? I think most people could say, yeah, I can maybe record one thing a month. The, the idea of how, how far can you take that based on how you've created it how far can you take that, stretch that and repurpose it and re, even recreate some of it? How do you do more with one central concept, even create less, repurpose more might make this a lot less intimidating for people. Yeah, absolutely. And I, one of the really great exercises I always uh, encourage when you're doing content repurposing is think about how you can break something down into its smallest possible parts. So that's what we just did, right? We had a video. We talked about it's got audio elements. You could have the, the, the written words. You can have uh, still images. But then you think about, well, there's going to be a couple great sound bites in our conversation, naturally, of course, right? So those sound bites could be shortened clips. Those sound bites could be quotes that we create graphics of those same quotes. So you could really take this one interview or, if, or whatever one anchor piece of content you're creating and really continue to make use of that in many different ways. As you said, over the course of a month or, or maybe two weeks, maybe you do it every other week so that you don't have to be constantly turning out a new interview every day or a new video every single day. That's a lot of pressure even for professionals. You know, that's a, a newspaper level of productivity, putting out a new piece of content every single day like that. You don't have to put that pressure on yourself if your actual job is running a restaurant or, you know, owning the storefront of your boutique or making cookies or whatever it is that you do you know, don't make it so that you spend so much time on content that you can't do the thing you actually love doing. You know, find a way to make it fit into your lifestyle, into your business, so that you can still find time for those things. And and I think the reason it works is it's a very natural process. Most of us aren't just ranters. We don't just start talking and rant randomly for an hour and then finish. There are people that I'm sure are skilled at that, but I think the majority of us think in terms of subjects and and subcategories and bullets and sub-bullets and whatever. And so when we actually are building a, a larger piece of content, our mind's already working like that. So breaking it down into smaller pieces usually just 
brings it back to how you were building it in the first place. Yeah, absolutely. And and I think of going back to like the school tactics of when you were studying for exams or something, the easiest way I have found to do this, honestly, it's so old school, is to like have a printout and use a highlighter is, you know, okay, this quote, this stat would make a good graphic. This section I'm going to put into, you know, when you see it all laid out and you can circle, highlight, underline, draw boxes around things, it allows you to see how many tiny pieces of content are hidden in your bigger piece of content. You know, obviously that does work best if you have something written or a transcript because you can, you know, circle things, but you can do the same thing if you've got video or audio, you know, as long as you've got some editing savvy or you just want to write down timestamps and again, outsource to someone who's better at chopping things up, you know, that, that might be a better use of time. Yeah, I think it's perfect. And I think that alone, I think people will get some use out of this because it is something that yeah, people are asking about all the time and it's something that really could help their businesses overall. Now let's get into a little bit about you and why this is like something that you're doing now overall. Where did you come from? I know you start, you have a little bit of like a native content background, branded content background. I understand yep. what that is, but let's talk about that so the audience gets it and like where you started from. Sure, sure. So native advertising is kind of a buzzword. So you may have heard it used in a couple different ways. So I'm going to give you the general definition that you may have heard elsewhere and then the specific way that I was involved. So generally speaking, native advertising refers to any kind of advertising where it natively fits in its environment. So you think about plants are native to a region or people are native to certain places. You're native to LA. So, you know, using that word with regards to advertising just means that this advertisement really fits and belongs here. You know, it kind of blends into its environment, not in a tricky way, but in a way that it it really belongs here. It it fits in. So that could be used like on Twitter, since that natural environment involves tweets, a native advertisement on Twitter would also be a tweet, a promoted tweet, right? We see those in feed all the time. Same thing about a post on Facebook. So when it comes to my application, I was working in publishers. I worked at the Huffington Post. I worked at the New York Times and at Time Incorporated, which is a series of magazines, you know, Time, Fortune, People, Entertainment Weekly, et cetera. So what was native for us, what people came to us for was content, articles, videos, you know, blog posts, slideshows, things like that. So if a native advertisement in that environment had to be content as well. People were coming to us for articles. So an advertiser, if they wanted to fit in, needed to provide articles of the same quality. So my job at those publications was to help teach the advertisers essentially how to think like journalists and create content like journalists do or like our content producers do so that the stuff they created and paid to promote in our environment was actually going to perform well. You know, we don't want them to come in and write a really bad blog post that doesn't work for them, that our audience doesn't love, that makes us look bad, right? So in order to make it a win for everybody, we had to kind of get them up to speed on the basics of creating quality content and oftentimes help do that with or for them. So that's really what I was doing at HuffPost Partner Studio, which was that brand content team, at T Brand Studio, which was the New York Times brand content team, and then at the Foundry, which was Time Inc.'s brand content team. Um, And then Five years ago, I set out and actually started StoryFuel, which is my company, where now we don't do that just for individual environments like the New York Times or HuffPost, but we help brands and marketers learn how to do that in any environment so that they can take that same storytelling skill set you know, for content marketing and apply it no matter where their content is going to end up. So you know, we started very specific to one publication, and now we're focused on content no matter where it lives. I love that. And you have a, since you have this kind of unique background that is not necessarily marketer first, like you, ha- you have this kind of journalist first yeah. uh, slant to it. I want to hear more about that. But first, let's talk about your, you have some, you, this knowledge you put together, that you're bringing to the table that you're speaking about, you're putting this into a book, right? When's that coming out? 
So the book comes out February 24th. It's actually available for pre-order at Amazon, Barnes and Noble, uh, wherever you like books uh, online right now. But uh, yeah, the February 24th, it will finally be in people's hands, which is really exciting to me because it's just been in my head for so long. <laughs> I'm excited for you. And it's called The Content Fuel Framework, How to Generate Unlimited Story Ideas. Why this book? Why now? So this was really my way of trying to give away the secret system that was in my brain. I didn't really know it was there. It was, you know, everyone has that thing that you, you asked earlier, what's the question people ask you about all the time? I was hearing from others that my superpower is sort of coming up with these ideas that people could come to me and say, well, you know, I know people say this content marketing thing is great, but I run this kind of company or I have this kind of brand and it doesn't work for me. And to me, that was so exciting. I would go, no, no, wait a minute. Okay, so you could do this and you could make a map and you could make this. And I would sort of run through a bunch of different content ideas off the cuff. Challenge and, accepted. Yeah, I love that, right? <laughs> but then people would say, well, how did you do that? Like, how did you find these hidden gems, you know, in what I thought was, you know, an, an empty cave? And um, I couldn't explain it. And that really bothered me. I couldn't explain what was happening in my head. I just knew, I, I just knew how to do it. And that's not a good answer when you're supposed to be helping others, right? So I spent a lot of time trying to unpack and really think critically about what is this series of steps that are happening in my brain that allows me to find these different combinations. And what I essentially came up with is I run through a list of focuses, things we can talk about, right? We could focus on people. We could focus on data, on history, on curating something. And then I run through a list of formats. Okay, we could do that through writing, video, audio, infographics, et cetera. So that was really the system. My brain was, had this sort of giant list of potential focuses and this giant growing list of potential formats. You know, now we have TikTok and we have Byte and all these other platforms that pop up. And my brain was just mixing and matching until it found combinations that worked well. And so I figured the Content Fuel Framework is sharing that exact formula. Here's a bunch of focuses you should consider. Here's a bunch of formats to consider. And here's a system that allows you to mix and match them in a way that you could sit down thinking, I'm not a creative person. And all you've got to do is mix and match different combinations and see what works. And you've got a hundred different ways to tell that same story. Yeah. And if, so if you're the type of person, because there's two types of people, right? There's either people that want to figure this all out for themselves mm -hmm. or there's people that want to get there faster and just have someone do it for them. What's great is yep. I feel like there's two options here. They can go buy the book, learn about the, these structures for doing it quickly for themselves. They can go to mm -hmm. IWantMelaniesBook.com. That was really creative of you to make it easy <laughs> for them to, to remember. Nice and easy. That'll all be in the show notes too. IWantMelaniesBook.com. You can go to buy the book so that you can just read through and do it yourself and kind of repeat that over and over and over again. You could also go to StoryFuel.co, which is Melanie's site and work with her. If, you want, if you're like, yeah, that sounds fine, but really I don't have the time for that. Maybe you're that person. <laughs> yeah. You work with people as well on this, right? We do. Yeah. So we've got a couple different ways that we work with people because I know everyone operates differently. Like some people, you know, and some people want a hybrid where they want to be taught, but also want some help doing it at first. Right. So yeah, you can work with us uh, in a consulting capacity where we work with your business over the course of many months. That's often for, you know, bigger businesses who maybe have some giant initiative coming up they need to invest in. Um, but we also have a mastermind and this is more for, you know, creators that are solo, solopreneurs, people building a personal brand, or someone who's kind of on a marketing team of one. Maybe you don't have a ton of support and help in your organization. You're kind of doing a lot of this yourself. The mastermind is a small group, so it's a little more price efficient and it allows us over the course of 12 weeks, I sort of teach you this whole format and a bunch of other things, how to measure your content, how to build a strategy, all of that. So that by the end of 12 weeks, we've not only done a significant amount of it together, but you have the skills to keep it going yourself. 
But yeah, we also work directly with people. We call it a content strategy super session where we hop on a video call for like 90 minutes and we run through everything and we will get you as set up as we possibly can. That's like the the cheat sheet silver bullet. We'll, we'll get as much as done as we can. Super fast option. Yeah. Yeah. And the reason I, I had to stop here and, and point this out more obviously to everybody is it is literally the thing that everyone asks all the time. It's, you know, I don't know how to create this content for my business and how to do it at a level where I can do it a lot and consistently. So like, this is why we have Melanie on today is to answer these questions for you to get a little bit in the podcast. You can get more from the book. You can get more directly with her at the site. So, you know, you don't have to ask anymore. You can just go <laughs> get it done. Check it off your list. And if, if you pause this episode, go to Amazon, put it in your cart, get it done. The content tool framework. <laughs> it's that easy. And with that, I'm going to jump back into what I want to hear more about, which is this perspective that I think is unique, which to me is intriguing because I only lived in the marketing world at ad agencies. So you came from this journalistic side that I think brings a different perspective to it. What would you say was kind of the first most obvious difference when you started to work with the marketing in the marketing space in terms of the messaging and how you think about creating stories? What was kind of a different slant that the marketers had versus the journalists? Yeah, so the, the very first thing I noticed because I was coming in with a totally clean slate. I had never worked in marketing. I hadn't really thought much about marketing, to be honest. That was, that was a different department, you know? Was that everyone was so obsessed with telling everyone else why they were awesome. And that's like deeply different psychologically from journalism where the personas almost disappear into the background. I am a vessel for this information. My opinion is irrelevant. I'm gathering and delivering. Like it's, it's a totally different way of being. And so that's what was shocking to me is I, I just remember thinking like, man, this is, even you think this is boring and you made it. Like, this is not good. No one's going to like this stuff. You know, we got to find a way to, to kind of get closer to our audience's actual desires and, and expectations. And it seems so obvious to me because that's what we had been doing all the time. You know, I've, I've joked many times before that I'm really just doing journalism and hopefully no one catches on. Like, I'm just wearing a marketing hat and doing journalism. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, so it was trying to, to help marketers understand, like, just because you have a new product coming out doesn't mean your consumers woke up and said, I can't wait to read a press release. Like we got to find a way to make this relevant for them. You know, we got to try to approach it in a different way. And the easiest way I found was to say, you know, in journalism school, they teach you show, don't tell. It's not my job to tell the audience what I think, what I feel, what they should do, but to show them what happened, paint a, you know, paint a picture for them, give them as much detail as I can so that they can make those decisions on their own, right? And in an ideal world, objective, good journalism, that's what you do. You gather and you present it so that they can, they can make those choices. So I tried to bring that mentality of, okay, right now we're telling our audience that our products are great, our customers love us, and they should buy from us. What if we showed them that instead? What if instead of telling them our customers love us, why don't we interview customers and let them say it instead of say, yeah, they love us, it's great, right? Instead of telling them that our products are awesome and they should be buying it, like, Let's demonstrate how it works. Let's find real people who are using it, who believe it and share that instead. And I think when you focus on showing instead of telling, you naturally have to take a more storytelling approach because it requires you to, to build a demonstration, to, to provide evidence, to talk to other sources, right? It, it kind of guides you if you ask in every, am I showing or telling right now? How could I show instead of tell? That's a, a really simple question you could ask yourself to get more toward that journalist mindset of, of demonstrating your value instead of just declaring it. What, it. what strikes me is that it forces you to, out of a couple of bad habits that I see, which a lot of time there's a, a movement too early to think about, okay, well, I want to do branding marketing now. I want to get my logo, my website, 
I want to just run an ad, whatever that thing is, it forces you to, to realize, are you ready? Have you heard enough from your customers to tell their story? And without that, you might not be creating an ad that speaks in their language and that, that resonates with them because it's not coming from them in terms of what they're challenged with and why they like the thing you were doing to begin with. Or maybe you haven't even actually validated your product enough that you know it works for your customers. And yeah. if, if you take this approach, you're forced to do that. You're forced to, to explore, like, is this actually working for people? What are they saying about it? How do they talk about it? A hundred percent. The other thing that if you're looking for like one little change you can make that's going to make a, a big difference is to really think about using other sources. By this, I mean every story you've ever, hopefully every good journalist, you know, knows they, they're quoting other people. They're, they're, unless it's opinion, they're very rarely sharing what they think. They're finding experts. They're finding authorities, professors, researchers, influencers, you know, celebrities, anyone who can speak with authority on a topic. And I think in marketing, we often forget that and we talk only about ourselves. We only quote our executives. We only, you know, use the perspectives of our employees. And so anytime you create something, if you just ask, how can I bring a reputable source in? Who's someone, you know, who can I interview? Who could I quote? Who can I ask about this? That's another way because if you're quoting someone, you have to explain who they are. You have to use their, their quotes and you have to find a way to add that into the story. Again, that naturally guides you toward, you know, being a little more story driven because now you have characters, you know, you have to create some sort of interplay between what you're saying and what they're saying. Just asking every time, is there, is there someone else I could ask about this? And, and ideally someone outside of the company, even if it is a, a vendor, a partner, a customer, just who can I ask? Who else could weigh in here? Right. And I, I want to validate that. I'm sure that the people out there listening are like, you know, it is, it is hard to create content. I'm not, it, it, it's, this isn't an easy thing For that sure. you figure out overnight. This is why there are people that coach on it and help with it. Yeah. Uh, you're, you're validated in your feelings that this is not an easy thing. <laughs> uh, it might feel like it should be easy, but it's not. And I, you know, I think that we acknowledge that. What I, what I want to ask is, you know, there, I'm sure there's a lot of mistakes when people are getting going and doing it on their own. There are mistakes that people make when trying to, to execute this. I wonder if there's some things out there that you see that people are, are often getting wrong, especially at the beginning uh, of their journey, that hopefully we can get them to skip. Yeah. And in an attempt to keep it positive too, I think the, the, biggest mistake that I make that's almost self-sabotaging in a way is just biting off more than you can chew. Just like you said, you know, it's complicated. It's hard. It's time consuming. And so if you wake up tomorrow, you know, you listen to this podcast, you get all inspired and you wake up tomorrow and say, I'm going to do three YouTube videos a week, like more power to you. Let me know how I can help. But that's a really tough transition to make out of nowhere. So I'm not saying you want to lower your expectations. I don't want you to lose that ambition and that inspiration but think realistically about what you can achieve and start small and build up from there. Because if you decide that you need to have be post, go from nothing to posting on Instagram every day or writing a blog post every day, or again, you know, doing two videos a week on YouTube, there's a really good chance you're going to burn out. And then that will stop altogether. I would much rather see you consistently do something once a week or twice a month for some standard of time and then grow as you get better at it, as you get faster at it you know, increase that frequency later, then see you go all out for a week or a month and then totally stop. That's not going to serve you or your customers. So I would say just don't bite off more than you could choose. Start small and build up because you'll feel more confident, you'll get more efficient and your customers will get used to it. I like it. And I'm trying to think about, you know, there's, there's so much content out there right now. Like there really is. There's, yeah. it's, it's overwhelming uh, how much is out there. And even though we were saying everyone should create it, right? Because I think everyone can find their niche and their, their thing that makes yeah. sense for their, their audience. Uh, and then the cream will rise to the top. But 
it gets me to think about this idea, well, how do you move beyond creating to creating something great? And can anyone mm. do it? It's, you know, what is that, that, you know, is it just practice over time? Like, what is that, that thing that starts to separate the really good content from just, you know, you're doing it, you're just getting it done? Yeah, two things, I think. One is really having your finger on the pulse of what's working and responding to that information. So, you know, they always say, you know, if you want to write, you want to be a writer or something, right? you, you write every day. And even if some of it's bad, you listen, you get feedback, you edit, you get better over time. You know, Stephen King didn't uh, win awards for his very first thing he ever scratched out on a notepad, you know? So it, it takes time to be great and you have to practice that skill. This, these skills are like any, the more you do it, the more confident, and the better you'll be. The other thing that it takes is consistency. And that's why I think the advice not to, to start too big is, is really important. You know, you think about the things that you love, the people that you follow on social media, the shows that you tune into and watch on TV. The reason you can grab onto that is because you know when it's coming and it always shows up. You know, if you showed up at the movie theater and the hours were irregular and half the time it was closed, you probably wouldn't keep going back, right? Same thing with a restaurant. If, you, if the hours were just not posted and totally random where they were posted and then not, not adhered to, you'd feel betrayed. Like, I thought I was coming here for a meal and now I can't even get in the door. So you don't want to give that same feeling to your, your viewers, subscribers, followers, whoever they may be. So picking something consistent and showing up, even if it's less frequent, is really important for building a loyal following, building relationships. Again, you know, showing up, don't stand up your audience if you've invited them to a date, you know, just, just keep showing up. And over time, that trust will grow and, and forgiveness will grow. If you, if you come to a point where you can't uh, you know, deliver on something some week, there's understanding at that point. I would say if you, if you follow any, any sort of reputable YouTuber, you'll see at the end of every episode, they always say, follow me. I put out new videos every Thursday, right? They know that consistency is what keeps people coming back and they can promise that to their audience. So whatever that looks like for you, you know, you don't have to declare it and say, you know, follow us on Instagram. We post new video, new, new photos every day. But, you know, deliver on that promise. Make sure that they can, sh you know, show them. Don't, you don't have to tell them necessarily, but show them that you're going to show up and keep delivering things that provide value to them regularly. Yeah, and I, I guess that's like a lot of things, right? It's, you know, we want to know what the steps are, what the, like, what are the right things to do? But really, it's, it's not just the right things to do. It's the practice of it, right? It's the doing it over time and getting better and better at it. And I like if, I like if you think of writing, like you think of, other things that are hard to master, like the art of cooking or a sport or whatever it is. It's like, yeah, I can teach you the right way to dribble or shoot a shot or whatever the rules are of the sport and how to do things faster or better. But it is in the practice of it that you realize the nuance that are going to like make the thing better each time and make you stronger at it personally. I like that. I don't always hear it like, like exposed like that, but yeah. it is, it is those two things together. It's the practice of doing the things right <laughs> yeah. over, over and over again. There's a, um, I don't know if you've seen this, there's a series that came out recently on Netflix called Cheer about a particular uh, cheerleading team that is, is uh, you know, wins all their competitions essentially. Um, and she had a quote where we said, we practice until we get it right. And then we practice until we don't get it wrong. So I think there's, that's a good distinction there, right? You keep practicing until you get good and then you keep going until you're never bad, right? Or mostly never bad, right? So I think that's a, a good way to think about it is that, you know, you don't have to aim for great right now. We're trying to get good. And then once we're good, we can aim for great. You know, it's a, it's a nice, a nice way to get there. Yeah, I, I, I it's exactly, I and mean, everyone that I look up to, that's exactly what the, what I feel like the message is and it's out there. Everyone sees it, but when you, you don't always apply it to the things that you have to do that are right in front of you. And one of, and I'll acknowledge that one of the, the greats out here in LA passed away really tragically this week, Kobe Bryant. 
And uh, not to put a, a damper on this, uh, but he was a huge idol of mine. And he used to say that he wanted to be so good in practice, like when you're going into playoffs, that it was so hard in the practice that it made the, the game feel easy. Mm-hmm. Like, because like they, you didn't like just try to get as good as, as the game. You tried to get it so that the practice is actually harder than the real game. Right. Uh, so that by the time you got to the real game, the real game felt easy. And I feel like the cheer team takes that same, that same approach. And my wife loves 100%. that show. <laughs> and that, and that's the, what the Mamba mentality, right? That's how, that's how he was. That was his work ethic. And, and it's the same thing. You could go to one practice with Kobe and he could show you how he shoots free throws. It doesn't mean you're going to be as good the next day. He's put in that work. He shows up consistently to those practices every single day. And that's what made him so great at what he does. Yeah. I, I think that's, that's a fair enough thing to, to, end, to, to bring the show around the close, of, uh, to close on because at the end of the day, what this all is, is yeah, getting around the right people that can teach you the things that you need to do and maybe inspire you and keep you accountable to actually doing the work and getting in there every day. Like I love accountability teams and practice and people to learn with. Mm-hmm. But I appreciate that that's probably what's going to separate you and your business over time is are you getting around the right people and are you putting into practice these things you're learning over and over and over again? I think that's, that's a, I think probably the best thing we could, we could leave them with today. So th- thank you to our guest, Melanie, for coming on today and sharing her, what she's been doing all her life and what she's been helping people with and bringing it off the stage and into the podcast to us today. So thank you, Melanie, for being here. Thanks for having me and let me share my story. Absolutely. And again, guys, if you didn't push pause and get the book, you know, I'll tell you one more time, go to IWantMelaniesBook.com to get that pre-order done so that you have it in your box ready to go when it launches on February 24th of 2020. Thank you. It's been a pleasure. Thanks. You've just taken your marketing knowledge to another level with this episode of Brands on Brands on Brands. But we have plenty more ways to not just help you build a business, but build a brand. Head over to brandandbrands.com for more resources, as well as access to our blogs, videos, and exclusive coaching sessions with your host. Be sure to visit brandandbrands.com.